Praise God. For about the first five years of my Christian life, I was totally and utterly obnoxious. Now, you might think I'm obnoxious now, <laughs> but I can assure you I was a lot worse than I am now, a lot worse. Dreadful. And it made me incapable of working with people. It was impossible. No one wanted to work with me, and even if I tried, I couldn't somehow bridge the gap between me and them. It was a very, very bad time. And looking back on it, someone should have taken me aside and told me that I was imbalanced. I was, a, 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 in some ways, a typical Christian, a typical new believer. I was hearing a lot of truth, truth that was new to me. But, and as I took it in, I began to, to you know, grow in truth. But there was something that I should have equally grown in, and that thing is grace. Many believers have a lot of truth, and not enough grace to counterbalance it. And that's the situation I found myself in, and that's the situation that I see many, many, many people in today. We shouldn't be, because nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that I should have had a balance in my life. Someone should have pulled me aside, right? And, and mentored me, discipled me, but that really didn't happen anywhere near the way it should. The Bible says that Jesus came full of truth. No, the Bible says Jesus came into the world full. It's like at the beginning of John's gospel. He entered the world full of grace and truth. And you see, if you're imbalanced, and I still, you know, it's, it's not like I'm over it. I need to think about this all the time. But a person who has overbalanced themselves on truth, you can be a very ugly person. You can be a very destructive person as a believer. You can be a very dangerous person. And, you know, we need to be very, very conscious of it. Today I want to look at it, ask and answer a very simple question. How do you become a minister of grace? That is, someone through whom, to whom, and through whom the grace of God flows. You see, I reckon it's the, the truth bit is a lot easier. The truth element is a lot easier for us to take because it sits better, I think, with the human nature. We have fallen nature is religious. Simple as that. And so the, the truth bit is quite easy to get. You can appropriate it easily. But the grace bit ain't so easy to get. Receiving grace, changing through the grace of God, that is not easy. And typically, the church in history has not done a good job in being balanced. If you look back or even look at the world today, you look at the typical evangelical type structures. I mean, I won't mention any names, but evangelicals, they tend to be very strong on truth. Maybe even in some cases a little bit imbalanced on truth. You look at Pentecostals who in some ways can often overcorrect on grace. And historically, it's just a fact. People tend to go one way or another, and that is not good. It's not good biblically. It doesn't lead to a healthy Christian life. It's not just the church, by the way, that has a problem with this. It's also countries, governments. That's why you get communist systems, dictatorships on one side and you get liberal societies on the other and, and governments also struggle to control their people and don't know quite you know how to do that and the Bible gives us great great guidelines with this so to begin with let's ask about you 
Are you, if you imbalance, and it's, to be honest, friends, it's very unlikely that anyone is going to naturally achieve a balance in grace and truth. It's very unlikely. It's much more likely that you're going to have a tilt one way or the other. You're either going to be so gracious that you end up in liberalism, which is no good for anyone, or you'll be so legalistic yeah. and into the truth that you, you know, you'll crash and your gospel, your life, your representation of God will not be valid. It will be invalid because of an imbalance in truth. So, who are you then? When you go to represent Christ everywhere you go, is it a good picture you're presenting of Him? Or is it in some way imbalanced? Where are you with this? We know where Jesus was, right? John tells us straight off the bat, He came full of grace and truth. And so, that's what we must be. For example, if you looked at Jesus Christ, if you looked at His face, the face tells you a lot about a person, you know. If you looked at the face of Jesus Christ, was it a yes face or a no face? Which was it? You could really get confused about that reading the Gospels, that's for sure. Well, the answer is it was a bit of both, really. Jesus had a no face to religious people. He hated legalism. He went after the religious types. Jesus had a no face to those who put weights on others they couldn't carry themselves. Right? But Jesus definitely had a yes face to the lost, to sinners. And it never ceases to amaze me. Sinners flocked to Christ. I wish that was so with me. It's not the case. Something wrong with me then. Sinners don't flock to me. And that's to my shame. I need to work on that. I need to become somehow more attractive to them. Remember, he didn't compromise his truth. No way. Of course not. He just kept his faith, his grace, up to speed with the truth. That's all. So when you looked at Christ, I believe he definitely had a no face to the religious types and a yes face to sinners, a compassionate, empathetic face to sinners. You see, legalists are everywhere. You can listen to them. You can hear them in the crowd. They're always full of what you can do and can't do. Do's and, do's and don'ts, you know? Pumping them at you. Full of their own expectations of you. These are my standards. And if you don't reach them, I'll come after you. I'll judge you. That's what I'll do. Legalists are everywhere within the church. Giving you, putting upon you their own demands. They tend to be pretty grim-faced people. Killing spontaneity, killing creativity within the church. And you know the most scary thing of all? They've always got a Bible. Sorry. And do you know what else? They're also in church. Got a Bible? <laughs> Don't worry. It gets very difficult to tell who the legalists are and who are not. And I need to look at myself and think, hey, have I got... An imbalance, as I say, I had an extreme imbalance in my early years. Now, surprisingly, do you know the word grace never came out of the mouth of Jesus? It's never recorded. It's all over the Bible, but it's not there. It means to show condescending favor, to reach down. And there's many, many different descriptions of it. I love the one that says, love that goes upward is worship. Love that comes downward is grace. I think that's the, uh, the most beautiful description of grace that I've ever heard. 
But we use the word so loosely, so slackly, you know. We use it to describe, say, you see a wonderful dancer or something. We say, you know, that's so gracious. Or you see someone with a great gift. I went to school. There was a punk rocker used to sit beside me. And, you know, he'd have all the colors and the metal and the stuff. And in art class, that guy, man, he was gifted. He could just take a piece of paper and... And the teacher used to come over to him and say, man, you have a gift. Yes, he did. That's grace right there. That's a grace into someone's life. And we use the word in a very broad way to describe maybe dancing or a gift or an empowerment. If someone has a, another type of gift, say a power gift, like healing. True, amen. Because the gifts operate by grace, right? They operate by your faith in what God has put in you. Every person here has a gift. But it won't operate unless you apply grace to it. So we're very liberal in some senses with the word. We apply it to kindnesses. If someone does a, a kindness, we say they've been gracious to us. We say grace before meals. Right? Very often Jeanette will cook me a dinner. She'll bring it and put it in front of me. I'll look at it and I'll say, let's pray. <laughs> we apply it when someone is patient. And the most classical definition is unmerited favor, right? So grace is a multifaceted thing, and we don't see anywhere near enough of it in our lives. I don't have enough of it in my life, but you know what? At the end of today, you can have more. Simple as that. God is not holding it back. He wants to get grace to you and through you, but it's us that stop him. It's us maybe not understanding. If you had more grace in your life, there would be more laughter in your life. Right? More laughter. Laughter is not a sin. Amen. Having fun is not a sin. Amen. Right? There'd be more laughter in your life. There'd be more music coming from your heart. Natural music because of the presence of the grace of God. There'd be more friendship. There'd be more friendship with other believers. You'd be a lot easier to get on with. Right? You know, the, the more legalistic a person is, the quicker they leave the building at the end of the meeting. It's often true, I'm afraid. Legalists can't stand fellowship. Can't stand time with other Christians. Do you know how I know that? Because there's a great big legalist inside me that I've always had to work on and still work on today. You need grace to love people. You need grace to enjoy people. You need grace in some ways, you know, to be more lovable. So legalists can't stand fellowship. They only like the formal part of meetings, and then they're gone. You need grace to enjoy fellowship, which is a core element of our faith, right? And our practice. So grace will bring more laughter into your life. It will bring more music from your heart, more friendship and fellowship that edifies so much and cause you to be beautiful, because it truly is a beautiful thing. I bring more ease in forgiveness, because there's lots of, hurts in life, and we need grace to smooth them over. So there will be more of everything good. The more grace you have, the more of these good things will be naturally in your life. And there'll be less of everything bad, less envy, less criticism, less judgmentalism, and you'll be a happier person for it, and those around you probably a lot happier too, amen. So let's look this morning at some specifics, just five quick specifics that you need and I need to help grace 
be produced in my life to increase the amount of grace within us. First point, today, claim the grace to be who you are. God has made you an individual. He's made you unique. You're one of a kind. Claim the grace to be the person that you are and not to have to conform to others' expectations of you, right? But just to be the person that you are, right? When I got saved, I had two born-again believers in my office. One was a Presbyterian. The other one was a Pentecostal. And the Presbyterian said to me, why don't you come to my church? I thought, fine, no problem. I'm not taking a pot shot at the Presbyterians. It just happened to be, that's what it was. And we went along this Sunday and, whoo, wow. That was one tense place, you know. It was like a dentist's waiting room. Everybody seemed nervy and fearful. I thought, heavens above, I'm frightened to breathe. And you look around, I was expecting Bella Lugosi to walk out or something. It was... It was really rigid. Now, those people were 100% sincere. There was nothing wrong with the place in other ways. But I tell you what, it's not me. It's not me. And if I was to go there, I would be going there to please someone. But it certainly wouldn't be God because I couldn't be myself in that place. No problem, but I need the grace to be who I am, thank you. I need you to give me the grace to be who I am. And I need it within myself. I need that freedom to be relaxed and say, look, I don't have to go there, thanks. A few weeks later, another guy, the Pentecostal, takes me to his church and talk about jumping to another extreme, right? I remember the children were making quite a bit of noise through that, that meeting. And the pastor quoted that thing, and I didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know anything about God at all. I just got saved. And I think it was suffer the little children to come on to me. And I was trying to listen to the message, and there's like chaos, liberalism. And I remember the very nice church, very nice pastor, everything was fine but it's not for me. And I don't know about you, but it took me a long, traumatic search to find a church that I felt was balanced. And I thank God for VFC because this has been a, it's been a blessing to me. I feel for me that suits me. Suits me down to the ground because there's enough truth and we don't, we're not stupid in that way. There's a balance between grace and truth and I love that and I can be myself. It's a hard walk to find the right place. But see... No grace, no peace. If there's no grace in your marriage, there'll be no peace in your marriage. If there's no grace in the church, there'll never be peace within the walls. There's always trouble going on. No grace in your workplace that you're bringing in. There may be struggles and strife. Peace causes grace to come. And I want to just give you an example of something that happened to me a number of years ago where grace was absent and it caused a lot of trouble. I'll choose a very controversial area. Alcohol. Drinking. I was in a church. I wasn't a pastor at the time. I was just a member in this church. And the pastor in that church hated alcohol. I mean, passionately hated alcohol. And one day he was preaching. He was up there. He was going full throttle. And he wanted to say to drink alcohol as a sin. And in the middle of his, you know, message, he said that. He said, oh, of course, to touch alcohol, you drink alcohol, that's a sin. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> Whoops, shouldn't have said that. That's an error. That's a theological error. So I didn't say anything. He's a friend of mine, still is. At the end of the meeting, I said, come here, hey, you know what you said there is wrong? Okay, it's theological. No, 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 he didn't want to know. Okay, okay, okay. A few weeks go by, and some of the women in the church asked to meet me, and they said, we're not happy. 
because this is not right. Something's been said here. Not that they wanted to go crazy and get drunk or anything. They just weren't happy that an error had been stated and nothing was done. I said, leave it, leave it alone, Grace. <laughs> leave it, let's work on it. And I went to that guy several times. I said, you know what? You can't get up and make theological statements, pal. You, don't have, you may passionately want to say that, but you can't say it. Just because it's a hobby horse of yours doesn't mean you're allowed to act outside of Scripture. Now, you should correct yourself. Do you know what was, I don't know, a year and a half or something, and the thing was still coming up. And eventually he caved in and said, no, I said this, and it's not. You see, it's not a sin to drink alcohol, but you know that some people don't even have the grace for that. Some people can't even cope with that. Now, there's a lot in it. We, as a men's group, we met last year, and we talked this thing out extensively about how we saw it, and we came to a very you know, common denominator amongst ourselves. Do you know what the Bible says? It says, it is not given to a leader to drink much wine. Much. Everybody say much. Much. <laughs> much. So you see, a leader was permitted to drink. Many people would like to take Tipex and just take, take away the word much, I'm telling you. Watch it. Where's your grace? Where's your grace? You see? And, I, I mean, personally, I, I, I mean, I don't drink, and I don't think it's healthy to drink. I don't think, in our current society, this is the conclusion we came to. We decided, hey, do you know what? Especially within the UK, people are crazy. I mean, drink's gone mad. And so our conclusion was this. There are many things the Bible says are permissible, but not beneficial. Correct? They're permissible, but they're not beneficial. And to me, alcohol falls very firmly into that category. It's permissible, but it's not beneficial, especially in our culture. So we came to the conclusion, even though it is available to us, that we shouldn't drink, especially leaders shouldn't drink, and members, you shouldn't just stay away from alcohol. But my point is this, the person who drinks doesn't sin. If they get drunk, they sin, of course. But you've got to be careful about grace. And as I say, some people don't even have the grace for that. When they see someone have a glass of wine with a meal and judgment rises, I tell you what, need to read your Bible, friend. Need to read your Bible. And get balanced here. Okay? Don't try and make everybody into your image. That's not your job description. But that's what happens. We get our own perspective on God and we spend our lives trying to force and conform everybody to be just like us. That's not a grace mindset. That's a legalistic mindset for sure. You don't need to be like me and I don't need to be like you. And I will not accept it if you try and make me like you. Right? That's not it. We are both to follow Christ and it's to His image and His image alone that we are to be conformed. Amen. So claim the grace from God to be who you are. Don't waste your time in life trying to fit in with every Tom, Dick, and Harry's idea of what a Christian is or what the Christian life. Don't let people put you down and judge you when you know in your own heart. And if you think, if you don't agree with me, go back and read what Paul says when, when he writes to Corinth. And he says, one man fasts on Monday and Tuesday, the other fasts on Sunday. One man eats meat, one man doesn't. And he's saying, for heaven's sake, guys, live within the boundaries of your own conscience and stop judging each other. And it's the same thing, you see. So be, be careful. My advice to you is don't drink. But I can honestly, with my hand before God, I can honestly say this. If we go out for a meal tonight and you're in that restaurant and you're having a glass of wine, 
with your meal, it would not mean that much to me, and I would think no less of you. Okay? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> First point, moving quickly on then. First point, claim the grace to be who you are. Claim the grace to learn from what you suffer. Do you know there's a lot to suffer in life? There's a lot to go through. There's a lot of pains, there's a lot of aches, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. And, you know, as a church, we've seen some, praise God, not too many. Hallelujah. But we see some terrible tragedies, terrible pains. And you know what I think? I think it's a double tragedy when you deal with someone who has a crisis of a situation, but they're not learning from it. It's a double hit. It's a double whammy when you look at someone who's going through a trauma or something. And they're not learning through the whole process. That's awful. Claim the grace to learn from what you suffer. There's an author called Watchman Nee, and he has a, a great chapter in one book about that very fact, about not concentrating on rights or wrongs, but learning from life and being Christ-like through the experiences that we go through. Just on that topic, we've got a friend in Ireland. We bring over missionaries from America a lot. And most of the time it goes fine. We don't have any trouble. American churches fund them and we put them out in different countries around the world and it goes fine. Every now and again you get a problem like we have with Pastor Jeff at the moment. There was another guy. There was only one other actually that I've ever experienced that got an issue with sending funds. And this was a guy called David Bulza. He's still in Ireland now. But he landed in there. He's only about 23. He had a team of six or seven people with him. And they rented a house, and the church was supposed to send funds every month, blah, 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 the usual story, and support their missionaries overseas. They didn't. And time went by, the team went back, and David was left all on his own. And we were funding him as best we could, but we couldn't get enough money to him. And one winter, he had no oil for heating, and he was cold. He had no food. He couldn't drive because he had no car tax, and he couldn't afford, afford to get it. And David was there, stranded and abandoned in the south of Ireland. And we were working to get funds to him. And he sent me an email at that time just listing the problems that he had. So you're 23. You've trusted the church. You've gone out. You find yourself stranded. That's hard. That's tough. That's lonely. And he ends his, after listing all the problems that he has and seeing what we can do to help him, he ends his email like this. I printed it out and I kept the email. Am I bitter? Am I resentful? Heavens, no. It's all part of being a missionary. Grace. Claim the grace to learn from what you suffer. Claim the grace to go through and not to waste the experience. In Jonah chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I love that line. Those who cling, see David's in this, he can cling to resentfulness. He, you can cling to hurt, you can cling to pain. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And no matter what the trial, no matter what the circumstance or the suffering, you can benefit from it for all things can work together for good. Amen. But we've got to do it God's way. You've got to plug into God, you know, and receive the grace to get through it. He's a wise young man. Am I bitter? Am I resentful? Heavens, no. I'm a missionary. And I will, I will use this experience to advance my own life. Claim the grace to be who you are. 
Claim the grace to learn from the things that you suffer in life. And thirdly, claim the grace to respond to the different things that you encounter. God has got grace each day. New mercy, amen. His mercies are new every morning. And God's grace is available to you on a daily basis. You can look to heaven, you can listen to God, and He will help you through the day, tomorrow, today. We had a drop-in center in Dublin, and it was a difficult place to run, but it was fine. Very, very busy place. And I was going there just preparing myself to open up the center, right? And I'm just praying, and God speaks to me. And He said this, it's going to be a bad day. And when God tells you it's going to be a bad day, you know what I mean? I thought, uh-oh. And I started to feel really heavy. I was going in, oh dear, it's going to be a bad day. So I go down and I say nothing. Jeanette comes, I say nothing, open up the door, and we just get, do you know, all hell broke loose in that place. They were throwing chairs, there was fights. It was mayhem from we opened till we closed and we stuck out our time. Everything was gone. People were out. I locked the door. I turned around. And she said to me, wow, you handled yourself well. Grace. I had a warning. I had a warning. And I was prepared for that. Just, do you know why? Because I gave God time to talk. That simple little, you know, thing like that. Giving him a moment to tell you. If you walk into a problem... And you didn't see it. Did you talk to God? You know, or have you lost your hearing altogether? Giving God that little moment and he took it and warned me. It's going to be a bad day. You better get ready. And because I was ready, I had the grace to tolerate all that behavior and to get through it holding our testimony together. Claim the grace every day to respond to whatever you might encounter, but also you need to have it for others. You need to leave your house, hopefully, with grace to give to people. People need grace. We need to be ministers of grace. All the circumstances we find ourselves in. We were in Liverpool. Again, we weren't the pastors of that church. It was another church. It was an Elam church, actually. And we were praying one morning before we left for church. We were just preparing ourselves to go. And I had a vision of the pastor of that church. And he was shot. Not physically shot. He was spiritually shot. He had fallen down. I saw him. And he had armor on, and he was wounded, but not fatally. And what's more, it wasn't his fault. And I felt, I felt very bad for him, and I was praying for him, and I told Jeanette, something wrong with the pastor here. Something wrong. He's been badly hurt. Don't say nothing. Let's just go and see what happens. We go to the church. The pastor's sitting down on his seat with his head down, and his wife is standing over him, giving him a hard time, you know. There was only four leaders in that church. And what had happened, two couples, what had happened on the Saturday night, there had been a big argument, and what the the couple had left. And they had blamed the pastor and said certain things about him. And the wife was standing over him saying, it is your fault, it is your fault, rubbing it in, you know. And we came into that situation, and I was able to say, hey guys, you know what? I had a vision this morning of you, and you were shot, and God wants you to know, it is not your fault. Do not accept this. Well, he blossomed, you know, he was up out of that, see, he told you, you know, (laughs) terrible, awful situation, you know, going in to lead a church with that weight on you, that's a bad situation, what did he need? He needed grace, he needed someone to get grace to him, right, and that's us 
in our workplace, how many times do you find someone with a terrible need and you stand thinking, I wish I could do something. I wish I had the words to say. I wish I had thought of what I... That's grace. And we need to be ministers of grace wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves. But that takes preparation. takes us being tuned in to God and listening to God. You know, being ready to enter as ministers of grace in wherever you are, in university, in college, in your workplace, in your family. So today, claim the grace to be who you are. Claim the grace to learn from what you suffer. Claim the grace to respond to whatever you encounter. And this one's the most important one for me personally to learn. <laughs> and that is claim the grace to stand for what I believe in, but not destroy everything and everybody in the process. And as I say, the first five years of my Christian walk, that's just about a very good you know, description of me, I must say. We need to learn. You need to learn. You can be passionate about something, friends. But don't destroy your life for the sake of it. Right? We need to learn to stand for what we believe. That's absolutely fine. But don't scatter people in the process. It's fine as a father to have principles within your home, but don't destroy the spirit in the home because of them. Look for a gracious way through all of that. Seek God to help you go balanced. Stand for your principles, no problem. But the scriptures have a very clear principle, and the principle is a principle of peace. It's in Ephesians. I want to show you this. Ephesians chapter 4, look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, and this is a life principle that I hope you can take with you today, and I am really am preaching to myself with this one because I need this big time. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, that's talking to you. You are to make every effort to keep unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. And in verse 13, it says, chapter 4, verse 13, until you reach unity in the faith. And the Apostle Paul is given, I mean, you could just read over that a thousand times and not see it. He's given a very good piece of advice. Don't destroy your life because you're standing up for principles. Learn some techniques, can we call it? Learn some principles, learn some ethics of operation within your own passions, within your family, within your work, or in ministry. Keep the bond of peace. It's a biblical principle. And I have to say, I certainly didn't do that. What are you passionate about? What do you really care about? Does that issue drive people away from you because of the way you handle it? Or does that issue actually bring people to you? That's what Paul's saying. Keep the bond of peace. If you make an enemy out of the person you're trying to reach, Paul says you're a fool right? Keep peace. He's trying to get unity in the faith and he has peace, peace, peace until I get you over to see things as we should all see them. Unity in the faith, he calls it. As you read the Bible, you read words. You read a book, you read words on a page. And sometimes I think it's very difficult to see Christ. The letter kills but the Spirit gives life. 
And I hope that as I read and I go through the script, I hope I can see the true face of Christ and pick up the true spirit in which he communicated. Because if I don't, who am I representing? Words on pages can be very easy to get a wrong take on it. I mentioned to you before, I've read Tozer's works. I love an author called A.W. Tozer. And I read just about every book he's got, I think. And I was in Singapore and someone gave me a tape, an audio tape of Tozer. And I was there and I was very excited. I went home, I put the tape in, I started listening to it. And you know what? I had perceived Tozer as a very hard preacher, as a very hard man. Truth, truth, truth. But when I heard him, when I listened to him, I was shocked. Because I found that he had a very good, he was full of humor, full of jokes. He was full of the life of God. It was winning, winning. And he saw great success in his life. He had a balance of grace and truth. I was a Roman Catholic. And when I got saved, I passionately wanted to see Catholics find the whole truth. I felt sorry because all most of my friends, my whole family came from that tradition. But my way of going about getting the truth into them was extremely clumsy, very legalistic and judgmental. And one day I picked up a book in a second-hand shop and it said this, John Wesley's letter to the Roman Catholic Church. And I thought, wow, that would be good, you know. So I bought it, I took it home, and I started to read. Wesley was successful, mega successful with his gospel. And as I started to read it, I got the shock of all shocks. This is Wesley writing to a bishop. And Wesley starts the letter like this. To you, my brother in Christ, to you who love the Lord that I love, to you who pour over the scriptures day and night, that you might find more of the heart of God. To you who bow the knee before the same God that I serve. And I went page after page. And I began to see, not just words, but I began to see the heart of that man, John Wesley. I began to understand why he was so successful. Because he was full of grace. And yet never compromised his truth. And I was learned a lesson. Learn a lesson from Tozer. Learn a lesson from Wesley. And above all, you learn a lesson from Jesus. And you be careful that you know the real God. And in your witnessing, in your evangelism, evangelistic, right? And Gordon was praying this morning, made a little mistake. I thought it was great. He said we should be evangelistic. Amen. <laughs> we need to be evangelistic to, to, to get it between grace and truth. Not all... <clears throat> To get more grace into our gospel, into our lives, into our witnessing in every way. And lastly, most importantly, every person in this room, please listen to me a moment, look at me. This last point is about you. <laughs> you need the grace to submit to what you need. You've got needs. You have emotional needs. You've got needs galore. And you know what? Sometime in your life, you're going to have to do this. <laughs> I need help. At some point, you're going to have to swallow your pride and put your hand up and say, could someone pray for me now? Right? You're not above it all in that sense. You're going to have to come through life 
like everyone else and be changed in the whole process of it. You need help. You need people. I don't care how clever you might be or what your letters there are after your name and goodness knows there's enough professionals here. But it doesn't matter, does it? Do you know there was a man once who began to get a pain in his side, appendicitis? Do you know what he did? He went and got some books on surgery. He was an accountant. And he got some books on surgery and he started to study surgery to the point where he thought, I'll do it myself, you know. And he opens himself up and tries to take his appendix out and he nearly bleeds to death. And he ends up on the operating table and they're sewing him up, they fix him up, and the surgeon said to him, what on earth were you thinking about? And the man looked at him and said, I'm an accountant. As if to say, that makes me qualified for everything, does it? You may be an accountant, but you might not be a very good dad. You may be an accountant, but you might not be able to handle your own finances. And it doesn't matter what your qualifications are doesn't matter what your stat. Everybody has needs. It's the way that God has made us. But it takes grace, you know, to put your hand up and to say, that's me. I actually have needs as well. That's grace. And this morning, I don't know where you are in your life, but I can guarantee you, friend, you, like everybody else, you need grace to receive that Right? You need grace to surrender, to hand yourself in. The Bible has an example of this, you know. When Christians, when babies can't walk, what do they do? When a child can't walk and it wants to walk, do you know what it does? It runs. And it takes off across the living room, smack on the floor, right? And that is such a picture of so many Christian lives. What want to walk. I want to walk from Sunday to Sunday, but I can't even get to Tuesday before I'm flattening my face. Grace. We need the empowering grace of God to help us walk. To walk the Christian life, to live the Christian life. You need grace, amen. We need the empowering grace of God. And the Bible's got a great example of this in two kings. Not two kings, the book. In two different kings. In King David, who showed the weakness of the law, in the Old Covenant, and in King Jesus. Listen, David was on his throne, and he wanted to do good. But there's limitations within the law. David wanted to do good, and he said, is there anyone left of the household of Saul that I might do good to him? And someone said, hey, there's a little baby that was dropped when he was a child, broke his feet, can't walk, never walked. His name's Mephibosheth. You could look after him. David says, bring him to me. And they bring this disabled man now to the palace. And you know, listen to me. Do you know what David can do for him? He can dress him really well. And from the day that Mephibosheth met King David, he was the best dressed man in town. He had the finest of food and he lived in the palace. But he never walked. He never walked. And then you go 2,000 years or whatever it was later and we find another king. But this time it's a king who's full, not just of law. A king who's full of, of grace and truth and empowering grace. And one of the first miracles that King Jesus ever worked is he walked up to a, a crippled man. And he said to him, take up your mat and walk. 
Because grace is here. Full of grace and truth. Friends, you need the empowering grace of God. We all do. You are not an exception. And this morning, I ask you to claim the grace from God to be who you are. Not to be judged by anyone. Claim the grace from God to learn from what you suffer. Not to get, a, you know, a double whammy as it were. Claim the grace for every day to respond to what you might encounter out there. Be prepared. Be wise. Claim the grace to stand up for what you believe and don't wreck everything in the process. And lastly, right now, you claim the grace to meet your needs that the Holy Ghost would come to you right now and meet your every need. Let's stand.